Our text this morning is Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. So please open up. And I know you're already standing, and I'm just going to remind us of... Uh, let's go actually go... The, the, the reference is Luke 9, but we're going to start with Luke 1, just a couple of verses. So that's probably in the Pew Bible, somewhere around page 860, I'm going to guess. Luke 1... Because we're re-entering our study. We've worked our way through uh, the first portion of Luke, and we're going to make our way into the next portion. But just as a reminder as to uh, who wrote this and his purpose, uh, the, uh, the writer Luke is a physician. He's a historian. He has a great attention to detail, and he has researched these things. It's actually two volumes. It's the Gospel of Luke and then the, uh, the, the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which is two volumes. And the recipient is this person uh, here that we'll read of. So Luke 1, 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. We don't know who Theophilus is exactly. Some speculate that he was a Roman official of high ranking. But the purpose is clear. That he might have more certainty. Hopefully that's true for us this morning. That our faith would be bolstered. That we would be uh, compelled and informed. And, uh, and, uh, and we are going to pick up in Luke uh, chapter 9. We're going to read a, a pretty large portion. I won't cover all of it as I normally would. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 1, hear this, God's word. And he called the twelve, this is Jesus, together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing on your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever you, they do not receive you. When you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, but some that Elijah had appeared, and others that the one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town in Bethsaida. When the, when the crowds learned this, they followed them and welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Jesus, send the crowd away to the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you, you give them something to eat. Uh, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had, it, had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples who were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, 
that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some here standing who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for his help. Father, please send your spirit right now to open up our hearts and our minds and our our ears and our eyes that you might shine brighter and shine light on this enduring word for us. These words are, are challenging. They are, are heavy. But I pray that you would bring life and bring wisdom to us through them. Would you give us, Lord, conviction and comfort? Would you give us humility and hope? Would you give us suspicion when we look at ourselves? And would you please give us courage when we look at Jesus? It's in his name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. Yesterday, I was sitting on a bleacher uh, looking at some uh, third and fourth graders playing basketball. And uh, that's that's entertainment enough. Uh, but it, it also kind of took me back. It kind of transported me uh, to uh, my childhood. I remember in elementary school uh, in the summertime, we would go to the Rockets basketball camp where Coach Sigsai uh, would, would coach us. His name is spelled S-Z-I-K-S-A-I. I only know that because it's the only way you could get a drink of water. Uh, <laughs> you had to spell his name. And uh, he, he would always start camp the same way. He would take a basketball goal. Uh, you know, the hoop, and he would hold it there, and he would show you how. Lo and behold, you can literally fit two women's basketballs uh, through that uh, that goal at the same time. And I, I, I ne- it never even occurred to me. Uh, he would also talk about uh, the the basic principle of of, of beef, which stands for uh, balance. Let me think if I can remember this: balance, eye, elbow, follow through. Balance. I elbow, you don't want your elbow to the side, elbow, follow through. And if anyone were to, to implement this and to consistently practice it, you could be a solid, decent basketball player, unless you're like me. <laughs> well, here Jesus is uh, near the end of his ministry, and I feel like he's training the 12 again in some of the, the basic foundational things. It's always good to remember those foundational things. You know, when Coach Six Eye would pull the, the, the basketball hoop aside and show us how the two balls fit through, it was one of those Lombardi speeches. Gentlemen, this is a football. Uh, those, those basic essential things. And so I think as we, we, we make our way into this, this latter season of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he's going to equip and train and commission the 12 to fulfill things, then he wants to remind them of these foundational things. And, and really, as it were to be boiled down, it would be along these two lines, very pure and simple, uh, to kind of break down on a reoccurring basis uh, these two questions. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Now, when, when the Apostle Paul, elsewhere we read of this later because Luke records it in Acts chapter 9 and in Acts chapter 22, 
When the Apostle Paul, then Saul, encounters the risen Christ, he's blinded, he's overwhelmed, and he asks two questions. And if you read Acts 9 and, 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 and 22, they're both the, the, the same account from different perspectives. And both those questions come up. The two questions, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? This should be reoccurring, essential, fundamental questions that we ask. Because if we ask the question, who are you, Jesus? We're never going to have a completely comprehensive answer, especially this side of glory. We are continuing to understand more of his character, more of his love, more of his truth, more of his ways. And then to ask the question, and they need to come in this order, and I'll highlight this later. What do you want me to do? Don't try to answer that question before you know some of who the Lord is. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do in this scenario, in this situation, in this season, under, under these circumstances? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want your disciples to do? What's my response? What's my responsibility? What are the changes in my uh, priorities? You know, Jesus now, at this place, we, we read of it here in verse 1, he does have, what do we know of the Lord? Uh, he, has, he has power and authority. Who is this? This is the Lord. Lordship is you know, something that he possesses that he can now in authority go and commission. His, his, his motivation is compassion, but his methodology going forward is going to be to commission the twelve. They are part of this. He didn't ask for a clipboard to be passed around for a volunteer sign-up. He pursued them. He called them. He commissions them now to go out. Same is true for you and for me if you are a disciple of Christ you don't go, well, next week I'll sign up. Or on that situation, no, it is it is to be a disciple. Regardless of the day of the week, regardless of anything. So we'll just work our way through kind of continuing to ask this reoccurring question that all of us should be asking. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Well, we see here uh, that he is the Lord who has authority. What does he want them to do? Well, he leaves them with these instructions. The what and the how. The what is verse 2. He wants them to proclaim. And then also to prove that the kingdom has power and hope. They were to minister in word and in deed. It's not enough that they would uh, for them to just heal in Jesus' name. They need to proclaim the word of the gospel. The, the message of the kingdom. Because it's by faith. Uh, excuse me. It's by, by hearing the word of God. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 12, uh, 10 tells us. They needed to proclaim the word of the gospel. And then how? How are they to do that? Well, they're to do it with simplicity and with humility. The simplicity is is there because verse 3 says you shouldn't take anything. And this is not a commercial endeavor. Don't don't even try to gain any money. Uh, The parallel account to this in in Matthew says that they should collect no precious metals, you know, the silver and the gold. They shouldn't acquire anything. They should make a profit. When and where you go, he was telling them into a town, um, you, you should... Uh, you should rely upon others and their hospitality to provide for you. And, uh, and, and this is you're not to be materialistic. And what else are you supposed to do? Well, he says you should prepare for some rejection. And if that happens, don't take it personally. Take the dust off of your feet, in essence, and to continue on. Anticipate. Don't let it detract you. Don't let it de- to, uh, detour you. Shake it off of your feet. And then Herod, as we move forward into the passage, he wants to know this question. Who is this? Who is the Lord? Now, he doesn't really want to know the answer ultimately because it would mean that he would have to surrender. But he is curious. And it says that he wants to know in verse uh, 7 and verse 9, who is this figure? He can only speculate. 
And then what happens next is uh, one of the most far-reaching miracles because up until now the disciples have seen some profound things. Uh, they've seen individuals uh, healed or delivered, uh, but they have not seen a miracle. They have not witnessed a miracle quite at this scope and scale because all of these people, which is not 5,000, it's actually a significantly larger number, are fed. And I'm not going to go into uh, – when we've covered other gospel accounts, I've gone into the – the, uh, the significance of this, but to, but just briefly to say, this is a profound thing that's happening here in scope and scale. Jesus says to them, verse 13, when the dilemma comes, what are we going to do? It's getting late. Uh, you're going to feed them, which uh, I mean, I, I don't know the look on their face, but I, <laughs> you know, and this is this is ludicrous. I mean, there is no possible way. How could we do this? Well, he wanted to Jesus wanted to, to to demonstrate his power working in them and through them. This is him demonstrating his all sufficient power for who he is. Only the God man. And he doesn't do magic here either. I, this, I, when we, 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 we come into the New Testaments and we the gospel accounts and we see the miracles, we know that Jesus is not performing magic. There's significance in the fact that he's actually providing bread and food to hungry people. He could have done magical things to show off his power, but he is doing things that ministers to people, and he is using his disciples. I want you to go and provide this, and I will demonstrate my sufficiency. today. And then he shows that he is able to provide daily bread. But then here is where I want to spend the chunk of our time in these last few verses. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Well, on any given day, this is what Jesus wants for them, and this is what Jesus wants for us. Beginning in verse uh, uh, 20, excuse me, uh, beginning then uh, in this next uh, passage, uh, where are we? Verse 23, he said to them, if anyone were to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Over the years, I've uh, developed uh, an allergy, two allergies to pain and to debt. Uh, I've actually added a couple more of those. I really don't like losing and I don't like rejection either. I'm just allergic to all four of those things. I don't know what your list is. Maybe you have the same thing. You can imagine I'm breaking out in hives when I read a text like this. When we really lean into something of this, it chafes big time. Who wants to take up a cross? Now, by the way, we we say, oh, this is my cross to bear. People misapply this all the time, meaning, oh, well, I've got this difficult spouse or I've got this, you know, extenuating, uh, you know, illness. Listen, that's not your cross. The cross was a symbol in those days of your coffin. You were preparing to head off to die. This is this is something that is 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 significant. Uh, We we would we what does it mean to deny yourself, to lose yourself? Losing precedes. Winning, but why can't we just have the winning? (laughs) Do we have to do this before that? Can't we just have that? Even the debt thing, right? That's here too. I don't know about you, but it makes me – I'm uncomfortable. A creditor could be a bad master. But let me be clear. We are debtors. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that we were bought at a price. We are not our own. To grace, we are debtors. To Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, being prepared to, to, to die to our agenda, to die to our, 
our, our hopes and dreams at times and to follow him. Follow him. Follow him is in the present tense. The others are in a different tense verb. But, but that's the daily essential thing. Not every day do we, have to, do we have to die and take up a cross in the same way. But every day we have to follow him. Ajith Fernando, uh, who has been a, a missionary leader in Sri Lanka for many years, he wrote it. He was interviewed by Christianity Today. And he says, in a world, he reflects on kind of the landscape of where we are in America and in our culture In a world where physical health, appearance, and convenience have gained almost idolatrous prominence, God may be calling Christians to demonstrate the glory of the gospel by being joyful and content while enduring pain and hardship. People who are unfulfilled after pursuing things that do not satisfy may be astonished to see Christians who are joyful and content after depriving themselves for the gospel. Did you catch that? The gospel. For the sake of... Of the gospel, because that's what Jesus says here in verse 24. It's for the on account of me. If you're losing your life for my sake, Fernando goes on. He says this may be a new way to demonstrate the glory of the gospel in a hedonistic and a pleasure-seeking culture. I have a great fear for the church. He writes, "The West is fast becoming an unreached region. The Bible and history show that suffering is an essential ingredient ingredient to reaching the unreached people." Will the loss of a theology of suffering lead the Western church to become ineffective in evangelism? So to be clear, which, which, did you, I, I love the way he captured that. When people who are unfulfilled after pursuing things that don't satisfy, that's no surprise. But when they see you or me, follower of Jesus, joyful and content, because you're not even chasing after those things, convinced that they don't satisfy, that's a real perplexing thing for them. And so suffering, by the way, we're not talking about suffering for the sake of just suffering or going without for the sake of just denying ourselves and, and, uh, and, and heaping on some type of discomfort. The suffering here is for the glory of God and for the joy of you and me. Over a dozen times in the New Testament, those two things are paired together in the very same sentence, joy and suffering. That is mysterious. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity highlights this. This is a a mystery. It's a paradox. It's a long quote, but he's putting it better than I could. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose yourself and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find it in the long run. Only find hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him everything else thrown in. In other words, that that last line. Aim for Christ and you get the world well great but if you aim for the world you lose it all and this is this is not hard bargaining this is not this is this is this is this is not too terribly difficult to negotiate you don't need a business degree I've told this story before I was reminded this week uh, because of some news headlines yesterday 
Jim Elliott, I, I retell this story. It's, I, I, I've cherished it down the years since I read of it in college. He counted the cost of following Jesus. And while he was in college, when he was 21 years old, he wrote this line in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote that in 1949. He was expressing his heartfelt desire and conviction that following Jesus was more important than his own life. He ended up, Jim Elliott ended up studying languages because he had a desire to take the gospel, the good news of Christ to people who had not yet heard it in other parts. He ended up traveling with his wife, Elizabeth, and their young daughter, their little girl, to Ecuador. The whole purpose was to move into the tribal areas of the Quechua Indians and then ultimately to an unreached uh, group altogether, the Wadani tribe. And he was with uh, other men and their wives, and uh, they they were they, they were you know living there. They wanted to endure, you know, they wanted to uh, uh, to you know create goodwill amongst the Wadani, and so they would travel up the river in Ecuador, and uh, they would actually send out of the plane gifts, trying to communicate that they weren't uh, a threat. But the Wadani didn't see it that way, and so on January 8th, 66 years ago yesterday, they flew down. And Wadani warriors ended up killing Jim Elliott and four other men. And their bodies were found later down the river. And Life magazine wrote a 10-page story about these missionaries' lives. Jim, Jim Elliott's widow, Elizabeth Elliott, who's a prolific writer who died not long ago uh, here in Massachusetts. They returned from Ecuador with others. They returned, excuse me, to Ecuador years later. Even some of the men who had murdered, who were part of uh, killing Jim Elliott and the other missionaries, uh, came to faith in Christ. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But you'd surely be a fool back to our negotiating and our bargaining. And if someone said to you, listen, you can have all that you desire, all that you thought would be fulfilling, that would that would just push out all the loneliness and fill all of your tank and every dream, every every ambition, every goal. You would be the envy of everybody for 80 long years. You could let's go ahead and make it 85. You're going to exceed the life expectancy of a normal American and you get to live to 85 years old and all of your dreams would be fulfilled. But that's it. And you will miss the glory of the presence of the Almighty. You better die to self. You and I better die to ourselves if that seems like the richest, sweetest prize. Now, I know it sounds noble. I've envisioned it myself. What would it mean if I were to have to die for my family? Right? Right? So you said this is, this, this is something, you know, sometimes you're like, what if someone would say, Troy, their life or yours? Thank you for making it easy. I could do that. There's, I don't even have to contemplate that for a second. Go right ahead. Take my life. But to live for them and to die to self and be patient with my children and uh, serve my wife and put the dishes away. Well, that's another story. It's the same thing, you know, and there's a reason that the key word here, if you look at it, it's it's the one that makes it most 
difficult. Verse 23, deny yourself, take up your cross. Oh, where's that word? And daily follow me. Oh, Troy, would you die for Jesus? Oh, yeah. I mean, if someone were to say, I mean, you either you either deny Christ or you die. Thanks again. This is an easy one because that is more real to me. There is I don't struggle with that. But yet you and I still struggle on a daily basis to die to self and live for Christ. I know. I want it to come into focus. I want this this the glory of the supernatural, the unseen realm of of Christ to be so tangible and real to me that this doesn't seem so looming and large and significant. And I would die to self. Daily, what does it mean? What does it mean to deny yourself? We're not talking about, I mentioned the John Stock quote last week. We're not talking about chocolates and cocktails and cigarettes. You might need some self-control concerning all of those things, but that's another point. No, to deny ourselves means that at times you deny yourself earthly pleasures so that you can be generous. It means that you might deny yourself those tempting thoughts of bitterness or vengeful gossip when someone wrongs you because God's called you to forgive. To deny yourself means that you would deny your agenda and your impulses when God calls you to purity and integrity. I think you get the picture. Now, it's important to note that Jesus does not call us to anything that Jesus hasn't himself done and endured. Right? Because if you go back, what does it say? He's even anticipating. He's foretelling this. He says, verse 21, he's charged them to, verse 22, he charged them not to say anything, but he predicted the Son of Man, verse 22, must suffer many things, be rejected, going to be killed, and be raised. And oh, by the way, did he deny himself? Yes, indeed. After his baptism, we know that he went into the desert. He was, he was, he was tempted. He was told, look at this. Satan, the father of lies, took him up and said, this whole kingdom can be yours. Let's go ahead. Let's skip the suffering, Jesus, and let's get the glory now. Are you ready? And Jesus said, no. In the name of love, in the name of submission to the Father's will and the mission, and, 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 and a desire to be a, f- a faithful substitute and redeemer for all of us now, he says no. And he denies himself. And he does take up his cross. And he does go through suffering to bring glory. To himself and all those who are united to him by faith. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything he has not himself done. And I would also add this. And that he has not also given us the resources and the means to fulfill. Second Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. He said, well, it's just impossible. I'm lonely. It's impossible. I'm stressed. It's, it's not possible. You know, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand my weaknesses. You don't. No, 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 no. He's given us. I can't. I can't. No. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has not given us this imperative to then let us just flounder and fail. And we will fail. And I do fail. And his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Do you believe that? 
Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord, and what do you want? What, what on earth is going to motivate us to fulfill these things? It's just like when he asked them to feed the 5,000. You go and give them food. Uh, don't see how that's going to happen, Jesus. Okay, clearly you can't until you step out in faith. And so whatever it is in your life that in good conscience and the calling of God to, to, to take up your cross and follow him daily, don't say it's impossible. Step out in faith and see how he provides. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord? Well, he is showing here, amongst other things, that he is the greater Moses because he brings down food, not manna from heaven, but a food that when he looks at him, he says, your forefathers ate manna and they died. But whoever eats this bread will surely live forever. He is a generous God. He is a sacrificial, suffering savior. He is gentle and lowly. He is the lover of your souls. He is a friend of sinners. Who are you, Lord? Establish that. Meditate on that. Contemplate it day in and day out before you try to even do what the Lord has called you and I to do. Because we like to establish that. Lord, here I've done what all the things that I thought you told me I should do and wanted me to do. Now, who are you? Because I think you're, you, you owe me something. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? He is the gracious, loving Savior. Get the order straight. And all these things will come into focus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help it all come into focus as we contemplate your word. Please, even now, as we leave this place, would you help us to be faithful disciples, ambassadors of Jesus, even if we face, and indeed we will, rejection and misunderstanding, maybe even persecution. Would you help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you, that being daily? Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we tried to serve our own agenda. We tried to make our own rules. We tried to fulfill our own, our own dreams, and we, we've just missed it. Lord, help us to have it all come into focus so that we would take steps of faith and courageous, bold things, that we would set examples for our children, that we would love our neighbors in ways that are perplexing to them, trying to find all the satisfaction the world can't possibly deliver. Have mercy on us, Lord, please. Make us a people, whether it's in suffering or in abundance, that we would be a people who are humble and generous and hospitable, bold. Lord, you know what you have for us. Even as we make our way through this study and we revisit these questions, who are you, Lord? What do you want us to do? Would you help us by your spirit? Help us in community. May our conversations in community group and daily in your word enrich and feed our souls in ways that nothing else can. And compel us on towards faith, hope, love, and good deeds. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray you'd be with those who are struggling, those who are sick, those who uh, face the not only the, the, the virus of this pandemic, but the effects of it in jobs and relationships and schools and communities and stress that, Lord, I pray would be revealing and draw us into deeper reliance upon you and seeking people who need compassion, who need love, who need our listening ear. Lord, I pray that we would stop waving our finger. I pray we would put our arm around some people this week. We would keep walking faithfully with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
Lord, I pray for people who are doubting. I pray for people who are lonely. I pray for people who are struggling with family members and discord and addiction. Lord, I pray for people who are struggling with relationships with unbelieving spouses, with children who are not walking in the light. Lord, you know our story, you know our struggles, you know our questions. Would you please shine bright even now as we pray because of Jesus and even as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 